Hello there. Do you remember the first time you saw Star Wars? Oh, I do. I do. I'm, I want to hear Okay, about it. first time I saw Star Wars, my dad... So, episode one was coming out. So this was 1999 or 98? I can't remember. Um, but it was coming out, and I was I was really young. And I, I was all into, like, seeing the commercials of, like... <laughs> I don't know. There, there's a lot on the internet now showing, like, the hype for episode one before it happened. And it's really oh, funny yeah. to see the trailer reactions and stuff like that. Um, but my dad was hyped about it. Um, and so he wanted to show me Star Wars, like, A New Hope, the original um, Star Wars. And so I watched it. And, I, yeah, I, I must have been seven, six or seven. And, uh, oh, my gosh. The first scene where Darth Vader enters horrified me. Like, really, really scared the living hell out of me. Um, and, like, like seeing his mask, Darth Vader, the breathing, like... <sighs> and it, his mask looks like a black skull. Um, and just the intimidation factor. Like, I was blown away how scared I was. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, Darth Vader haunted my dreams for the next year or so. Um, and I remember my dad explaining, uh, I guess he gave me a little bit of spoilers, the, that that little kid in the trailer would eventually become that guy in the black suit. <laughs> and oh. I was like, what? No, dad. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> um, but like, I remember being really, really afraid of Darth Vader. Um, and I think it, that really affected me in a deep way that it really, really infuriates me when I see Darth Vader dancing at Disneyland. Because it's like, Same. are you kidding me? Like, that character frightened me so much. And now there are kids that were younger than I was when I saw the first Star Wars. And they're just like, <laughs> look at that guy in a black suit who's dancing with stormtroopers. And I'm just like, oh, he needs to be frightening. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just my <laughs> nostalgia of, like, I want the children to feel how... the the, the fear that I did, but um, that's that's my first memory of, of Star Wars, is the first one. The very first Star Wars I saw, let me back up a little bit. So I'm from a big family. Um, I have an older sister that is, let me do the math here, um, seven or eight years older than me, and she's a big spoiler. She will spoil anything, <laughs> and even if you tell her not to, she will spoil it. I think that she probably listens to the show. Uh, if so, hello. Hello there. Um, <laughs> Hello there. No. <laughs> um, no, so what? we were planning on watching the movie, uh, the first Star Wars, Episode Four, as a family, and my sister was concerned that all the younger siblings would be very afraid of it, because it, it is scary if you're like four yeah. years old, right? Like, um, particularly, she was concerned about us being scared of Chewbacca <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I remember we were in a car ride. Uh, a long car ride, and she told us scene by scene every single thing that happens in A New Hope. Wow! And so she gave you the screenplay. Right, and she she really did, <laughs> and, and she did a great job, I must say. And so we sat down to watch it, and it was the strangest experience for me because in my head I had seen such a different kind of movie than Star Wars. Wow! Oh, that's yeah. interesting. And, huh. Yeah, and um, there was all these things that didn't look quite the way I imagined, but overall it was a very good experience. And actually, I was low-key afraid of Chewbacca. On the back of the VHS tape, they had like a, a screenshot from the movie, and in that screenshot, he looks 
very different and, and kind of intimidating compared to the way he looks in the movie. <laughs> I, Will, I think that's a, a really interesting commentary on like the theater of the mind and how it's different mm-hmm. than a movie, right? Like if you hand someone, oh, yeah. you know, if you hand people around a table uh, the same screenplay, they're going to all imagine different things. And I think that's a, that, oh, a yes. cool um, point about Dungeons and Dragons and theater of the mind is it's not a cinematic movie that's like carefully curated mm-hmm. Um, for the the experience, like that imagination plays a big part. That, that that's really interesting. Right. I was I was about ten years old, so imagine like the same screenplay read by people of all these different ages and the oh, stuff yeah. they read into yeah. the script. Yeah. Yeah. Because in my mind, Obi Wan Kenobi was the hero of that movie. He was like much cooler and much more like badass and epic. Yeah, just an mm-hmm. epic character. And then you see the movie, and that's not really the case. Uh, David. Wow. I. I don't have any specific memories. <laughs> David has never seen Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I actually haven't seen Star Wars. Oh, what is a what's a phaser gun? Okay. Uh, one of the things that I do remember is growing up as a kid playing Lego Star Wars. The Whoa. like way back on the computer. So this was one of the few computer Let games that I had. The audience know that David is twelve. He's <laughs> <laughs> or uh, at least much younger than I am. Yes. So I remember that was one of the few games that I had that were video games, and I played the heck out of it. And it was one of those games that I I just played over and over and over again, and I just endlessly did. So I, I always one of the one of the big things that I think about when I think about Star Wars is just the amount of hours that I put into that <laughs> yeah. game. Oh my god! And it's just like. It's I kind of remember it through that lens of just grinding and running around the cantina because that was like the loading area of the game. Oh man. So I, I have a question for you guys. Um the original uh it, it was in The Empire Strikes Back. The uh the, the line is often missed uh quoted of like Luke, I am your father, but it's actually no, I am your father. Was that spoiled for you when you saw it? So I wasn't shocked when I saw it. And I think that must have been because my sister had explained the entirety of the plot. <laughs> when I, so that long car ride I told you about before. She did the whole she trilogy? To, she did the whole trilogy. And then this was before oh. The Phantom Menace came out. And she told me, like, and they're talking about making a prequel movie that follows the characters when they're young. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's super cool. And once again, I pictured something very different than Phantom Menace, as I think a lot of fans yeah. did. Like Everybody pictured, pictured something different, <laughs> except for George Lucas. <laughs> so it was not a spoiler for me, um, which makes me sad because I've seen clips of people who film their children when they see that scene for the very first yeah. time, and the kids are shocked. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't get that. No, it definitely... So yeah. for me, it was like I was blown away, but in two ways. Cause like I heard that like no I am your father and I'm like oh and it wasn't like oh the plot I was like oh that's what I've heard people say on the playground before like it was like oh it all makes yeah. sense this is what this is the scene they're quoting um so it's <laughs> you're just connecting yeah. dots it's like oh yeah. I know where the meme comes from yeah now. so it was kind of a <laughs> double whammy because it was like okay I okay cool that's a good plot point but also I get what Derek was saying on the playground like <laughs> oh Derek. See, for me, when I first saw it, I it, like it just didn't phase me that like the significance of that, like, I'm your father. It was more of like, 
I'm still scared of this dude because he just like cut off his son's hand. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just a like le- unless the fact that it's his son, but he just cut off this other dude's hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite character from Star Wars? One of my from the movies. Things? What are our favorite characters? Who's your favorite character? <sighs> favorite character. I love Mace Windu. I think Mace Windu is awesome. Mm. I love General Grievous. You like Sam Jackson? Um, yeah. I just the purple lightsaber. The fact that he said like can i have a purple lightsaber and they're like yeah i guess just so he can stand out yeah that and general grievous is awesome i think he's super so i saw the um and this might we we might cut all this but um i saw the the clone wars animated clone wars um like the Mm. drawn animated not the cgi one um and there was a scene with i want to put it in the show notes it is one of the best scenes from like an animated show i've ever seen of I think it must be a half a dozen Jedi facing off against General Grievous. And he just utterly obliterates them. Um, mm, and yeah. like, it's I the first that. reveal of him showing that he has four arms. Um, but he also picks up a lightsaber with his foot. So he's standing on one foot, slinging five lightsabers. Wow. <laughs> and it's just like, I remember seeing it. I'm like, I was, I am in love. Um, and, and also I really like it cause it, when I first started podcasting back in t- early 2016, I went to a comic con, uh, here and met the guy that, um, that voices, the voice actor. uh, General oh. and he's not really a voice That's actor. Cool. He's a, um, uh, sound designer. And like, they just figured, oh, oh his modulated voice works great. Um, and yeah, I met him and I asked him some advice on like audio editing and stuff. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think General Grievous has a, a special place, uh, in my heart. Yeah, his name is Matthew Wood. I, uh, I don't know if I have a favorite character, but my least favorite was always Yoda. <laughs> and only in recent times have I begun to appreciate him as a character. And have him grow on you? <laughs> he certainly has clung on to me like a backpack over the <laughs> Um, I just there was this shift because in the, the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, he's this playful, very funny, quirky Muppet character. And then very quickly toward the end of that film and then all of Return of the Jedi, he is very grim and very spiritual. Mm. And um, I, I always wanted that fun Yoda back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I and I didn't get him back until um, spoiler warning for The Last Jedi. Uh, I didn't get him back until that one scene in The Last Jedi when he was fun. Again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, when he's back to his oh former yeah, court, just, uh, mm-hmm. just slinging riddles and he's and, a uh, and he's a muppet, yeah. and, he's and, a, he, and he's a muppet, which is <laughs> all of my childhood dreams were achieved <laughs> yeah. in one yeah. scene. Oh man, that was that was the peak. I think I've always enjoyed Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi. Hello there, David. Let it, the record show. David forgot the name of Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> he's like, what's his name? Uh, Darth. <laughs> I, Darth <laughs> Scooby-Doo, Kenobi? <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm just going to own the fact that I just blanked. <laughs> I don't know how. Obi-Bamf-Kenofi? <laughs> oh. it's, lo- it's been a long day, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 but I think we should end I, it right I've there. I've always like, seen him as the like ideal, like lawful lawful good character yeah. and he's i i just personally really enjoyed ewan mcgregor I, in, in 
in he, his acting. He is a darling actor. He is. He is. So I think he's underrated in general. General Kenobi. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 41, Star Wars Roleplaying. What are the most exciting parts of Star Wars for you? Oh, that's a that's a hard question. I think Star Wars nails this sort of tone that is um, so universal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think George Lucas is trying to clue in uh, to this like sort of monomyth joseph campbell like universal story um and when you look at um the first star wars and even like the screenplay for the first star wars it's you can tell that there's that monomyth there that hero's journey um and i really like just the universality of star wars and how you can take your grandma to see star wars you can Mm -hmm. take a child to see star wars that's why disney bought it because it fills every quadrant right like (laughs) every demographic is like, yeah, I like Star Wars. Um, and I think my favorite part about Star Wars and the Star Wars universe and role-playing in the Star Wars universe is just the universality of the story and the universe. Now, it can work for everyone. Yeah, there's something about it that uh, it's much easier to use if you're going to like write a story in it or play a game in it. Um, you can make it more science fiction, more fantasy, more Western, more... Uh-huh. Seven Samurai, like whatever flavor of Star Wars you want that day, you can make it work. It's, yeah. it's totally Or there's a adaptable. planet where it could work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about Star Wars role-playing, we need to talk about how Star Wars is different than D&D. There's mm-hmm. certain expectations and um, story types um, that you probably could tell in D&D, but they lend themselves better to Star Wars. So um, what are some of the big differences, Jake? Um, kind of going back to what I said about the universality, I think the buy-in for a Star Wars role-playing game is, is easier. Maybe mm-hmm. for your friend's spouse that has not played before, or for someone who is not used to Dungeons & Dragons. It's very easy to be like, hey, do you want to play a Star Wars game? Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying like, hey, do you want to play a dungeon-delving fantasy adventure? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, It's much harder to get buy-in from people who are not experienced in that in that realm i can Um, think of three people recently who have told me very specifically they would not play a DD game but they would play a star wars game yeah and because it has that universality um at this point then the 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 nostalgia built into it where people understand okay this is star wars this is the universe i understand what a lightsaber is what a blaster is um yeah, and there is just that easy buy-in. I think the same I, could be said for Marvel or like, hey, you want to play a superhero game? I mean, I think that's why um, Super D&D. Random. Uh, yeah, I think that's why I think that's why Super Random works because it's just like people understand that genre and they can just dive in way easier than like, oh, is that like a Lord of the Rings type fantasy simulator? <laughs> like, I, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's People really want to explore universes that they know and they yep. love and they care about mm-hmm. and they're invested mm-hmm. in. So someone who's a Western fanatic is going to want to play a Western style D&D yeah. mm-hmm. because that's something that they care about. They're invested in. They love the world. They get the genre. They get they the get tropes. the genre. Yeah. And I think that we have so much nowadays in terms of Star Wars and in terms of superheroes that 
those genres work great if you want to play a super random D&D or a Star Wars D&D. Because it's introductory. But it's introductory. And you, mm-hmm. you want to approach people on a level in which they themselves are interested in. Mm-hmm. So that they'll be interested in the game. Yeah. And in if you approach it by... Hey, you need to join my fantasy game. And they have no care for fantasy at all. They're not going to be invested in it. They're not going to want to play. They're not going to be interested. So you have to like, especially with like people who like the walking dead, they're going to want to play more of a zombie focus game where they are trying to survive. And you have these elements more of survival. Whereas fantasy is going to be more like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or, you know, any of those different genres. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's really uh, insightful, David. Um, I'm thinking that s- giving something as specific as Star Wars uh, in your presentation uh, or your invitation to um, a friend to join your game is so, it's such a loaded term. Like when somebody says Star Wars, like I'm picturing um, starships and battles and lightsabers and like this low-key Death Star. wizard stuff. Right, like yeah. you... You know, space wizards with laser swords, right? Millennium Falcon, like, you have all these cool... <laughs> yeah, you have these expectations and this understanding of this universe in a way that if I say, play my D&D game, like, people don't even have a grid for that. They can't... They don't know what that is. They're like, is that, like, Lord of the Rings or is this, like, a Game of Thrones thing? Like, there's a lot of variety within this overall, like, broad-term fantasy. Um, and it, and yet when you narrow down into something like Star Wars, it's suddenly familiar. Yeah, because they have no point of reference because a lot of people... I have no clue what D&D is. You say D&D and it's like, is that that weird game where you wear wizard hats and you just <laughs> kind of dance around voice. and wave well, wands at each other? Sometimes, sometimes yes. <laughs> sometimes, yes. <laughs> but most often, you know, people people enjoy Star Wars and they, they like knowing the world that they're entering. Yeah. And so if you're playing a game and you, wanna, and you want your friends to join who you think might enjoy it, like approach it in a way that they would be interested in. Yeah, so, it lowers the barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. So for and there are a lot of people who like Star Wars out there. And I know Jake, you've run a campaign where uh, you said that uh, what if Luke had missed his shot yes, on the Death yes. Star? Yeah. And that and that's a great you know idea for a campaign for uh, anybody who would be interested in Star Wars and approaching that kind of in a alternate history kind of way. Hmm. Yeah. It literally, my, my, yeah, the whole concept of what if Luke missed in like a Star Wars D&D type game is literally this, what we're talking about, lowering the barrier of entry even more. Because it literally is like alternate history to the original trilogy. And it's like, what if Luke missed his shot and the Death Star was fine? What then happens? Uh, like, like, what happens after that? And you can easily kind of take the place of the heroes. And again, it's lowering the barrier of entry even farther. It's almost like, let's role play the next movie where you replace all the original characters. So I didn't know that this episode was going to be about how to get your friends to try <laughs> tabletop role playing for the first time. But we're bringing up some really good points, I think, about um, using a very specific genre or movie or, or whatever TV show um, so that your friends feel like they can get into it without being embarrassed or um, looking like an amateur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like that's one of the things that you can do with people who you know you know who you think might be interested in playing D&D is be like, "Hey, what movies do you like? What what types of stories do you like to hear about?" and kind of approach a game from that aspect. I have this great horror game that you might be interested mm-hmm. in. 
I have this great sci-fi game that you might be interested in that's kind of like Star Wars. I have this great game where you play superheroes. I have this great game where you can be Legolas. You know, there are all <laughs> these different ways in which you can approach people and market it in such a way that they will be much more interested if, you know, they, if it's something that they're already interested in. Yeah, yeah. So what, um, so, so getting back to Star Wars and Dungeons and Dragons and just kind of role-playing in the Star Wars universe, what makes the Star Wars universe different than D&D specifically? Well, obviously this is a sci-fi game or a science fantasy game compared to a uh, traditional fantasy, like a medieval fantasy game of D&D. Um, Star Wars particularly is what they call space opera, which is like this big epic thing. There's these huge organizations, these galactic federations that are at war um, doing stuff. And it's it's really fun to have this big picture stuff happening while you are this very tiny, very zoomed in version of um, a character in a small situation, right? Like, I don't care that Star Destroyers are blowing up planets in my system because I'm just at the bar um, worrying about my debt. Yeah, you're a little beam farmer who's... (laughs) destined to save the universe <laughs> yeah and there there is a specific thing about the the genre of which is it science fantasy or like like space opera um which is is different than science fiction because science fiction oftentimes i mean i'm, I'm a huge fan of science fiction but oftentimes the tone is much more serious um, it's much more logical it's much more consistent it's much more realistic yes um and kind of has philosophical undertones oftentimes a lot it's a lot darker. Um, and for me, I'm a huge fan of science fiction, specifically military sci-fi. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a much different tone than space opera because that military sci-fi is about in the trenches, digging into like the deep philosophical undertones of war and chaos and fighting against uh, insurmountable odds. And there, there's all this gritty, real stuff that that you might not experience in space mm-hmm. opera type settings and that's i think adds to the accessibility of it is because space opera is a little more lighthearted. it's a little more adventuresome yeah right it's, well space opera is more of like an epic story or tale that is flavored in the science fantasy or science fiction setting yeah you mm-hmm. know it has it has that kind of flavor pasted over the epic stories and the stories are really the main focus and it's less about the the setting whereas the setting is kind of just it informs how the story is told mm-hmm. um, if you want a good example of uh, science fantasy versus science fiction um, obviously go and watch Star Wars if for some reason you have not seen it yet um, but go watch a show called Battlestar Galactica the reboot oh, from yeah, I yeah, think yeah, 2005 yeah, yeah. around there um, and you'll see the way um, even the way space combat is handled is completely different the way um, the drama is just different. And the, the funny thing is, is that I think you could inject some of that tone into your Star Wars game and have it look more like traditional sci-fi, depending yeah, on what you, you want. Re- you really could. I, mm-hmm. I think it's incredible. Another one, obviously, is Star Trek, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a – there's a myriad of opportunities, I think, for like a Star Trek crew um, for some really cool role-playing. Um, but yeah, but I'm, cool. just, I'm just thinking of like the – yeah, the seriousness and kind of the strangeness. I don't know. I, I'm reading a, um, a a book series right now called The Expanse, um, which I absolutely adore. I, I believe, yeah, it's a television show on Amazon Prime. Um, and it's it's incredible. It's like very hard military. Not, not super hard. Um, I'd say uh, medium sci-fi. Um, but like, medium well? Uh, me, yeah, medium well. 
and, and, and it's like this seeing the space battles in that is so different than like think of like star wars episode three the space battle over coruscant like the starship oh, shooting yeah. each other and all this like dog fighting and stuff and it's like this takes the logical what would a realistic military battle look like and it's just them shooting nukes at each other. Yes. Um, and them shooting down those nukes in between each other, and then just lining up railgun shots as they try to dodge out of the way. Wow. And it's really interesting. Like, there's no fighters. There's no like all. And the battle is taking place like, you know, <laughs> like almost a light year. No, not not a light year away, but like like thousands of miles away from each other because they can shoot nukes and line up railgun shots from so far away. And it's like, whoa. Like, this tone is so serious and so realistic, and I can appreciate it for that, but there really is no room for adventure in this type of hyper-realistic mm-hmm. yeah. genre. Right, even the fact that Star Wars uses swords in a world where you have guns <laughs> should yeah. tell you, like, we're, we're dealing with something very different than, um, it's obviously not realistic at all, but it's very yeah. fun. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. definitely, you know, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> and, and, and that's a long time ago, which um, raises some questions for me. Like, is this historical? Time <laughs> is, this, is this fact? Uh, speaking of guns and swords, um, I have to point out lasers and um, blasters are a thing in your game, your, your Star Wars game. Oh, yeah. Ranged combat is very different when you can blast people. Mm-hmm. Um, or so you would think... Um, you think that firing a bow and firing a blaster gun are pretty different, but practically in the world, you can't hit anything with a blaster. And if you get hit with one, you probably won't die. So, um, yeah, weird. Yeah, that, weird. I think that's a staple of the Star Wars genre is the... I mean, because if you have people walking around with swords, there has to be some element of underpoweredness to the, the, the firearms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have all the jokes, of the, the, the notorious jokes of how bad the aim is of the stormtroopers and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, you'd be surprised at how little this changes a role-playing game to have, have weapons like this. Um, I found this out with even adding um, firearms to my Dungeons & Dragons setting. Um, it surprisingly doesn't change the, the world that much. Hmm. Um, because you're changing dice, you know, it's like, okay, anyone can pick up a firearm and shoot it and it does, you know, 2d10 damage and that's, that's super good, but it's not game breaking. Um, and you look at real life and history and like firearms radically changed everything, but you can kind of add that into D and D and it won't change as much. And so you'd be surprised at how little it changes. And the same way with star Wars, like this sort of you know, everyone's shooting laser cannons and stuff. Like, it really is just reflavored ballistas and crossbows. and Or even and the ship-to-ship combat, it might as well be cannonballs because they have to be in really? visual sight range yeah. to yeah. hit each other. And even then, yeah. they don't hit each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It, it, it's not as um, crazy and complex and futuristic as you think. A lot of it is painted over fantasy. Yeah, and I'm realizing that right now as we're talking through, like, this is just a fantasy world with a veneer of spaceships. Like, yes. Instead of planets, like, these are really like islands, right? Like, because they're not that far away. Yeah. And yeah. they all have this little ecosystem. And you only yes. really need to see one, <laughs> that one <is> city. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that is something that people complain about a lot. It's like, oh, this is the desert planet. And this is the <laughs> snow planet. And this is the jungle planet. And it's like, oh, wait. 
the earth has like a ton of different ecosystems <laughs> why would there not be multiple <laughs> right i mean oh, did, where on the equator did you land on this planet like, what, <laughs> oh. what season is it in this this planet you know there's all these funny questions that you just you shouldn't be asking and you shouldn't yes. be answering yeah this is star wars and we're here to party oh but yeah. i think that that is good for a dungeon master it's like yeah. there are questions that just won't be asked and that's really good. I think that goes for fantasy in general, right? They're like, okay, if the message spell exists, why is there a mail service? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's one of those mm-hmm. things like that doesn't make any sense. But it just, no, you can send a, a postcard or like you can you can send something via the mail. Even though if the message spell literally existed in a D&D world, it would change how ev- all communication worked. But <laughs> it, it's really, you you just don't ask that question. In a way, um, it's almost like technologically ignorant because uh, yeah. even in, in Star Wars, yeah. like we should have droids exclusively piloting starships. Yeah. Like, there's, oh, there's, yeah. There is no need to have a human being. That pilot. Well, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, like they ha- somehow haven't developed like artificial general intelligence, even though it's like they have all these. Drugs. They clearly have it, but they don't. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't. Yeah. Yeah. It really is the more I, I think you said it best, Will, is like this is space opera and Star Wars is just fantasy painted over with a sci-fi uh coat of paint yes Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, because like you think about the parallels between like gandalf and obi-wan in episode four like they're they're very similar characters they both wear gray robes they both use (laughs) weird magic that isn't really that complicated (laughs) they both mentor you know a younger smaller person they're both white. <laughs> They're both British. They're both yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, before the fans write in, we know Ewan McGregor is not British. Please stop writing us. Isn't he Scottish? Oh, I guess so. He's a. Uh, he's from the UK, he's right? He's one of. The, he's from one of those islands. Oh yeah, Brexit. <laughs> the British Isles. The British Isles. <laughs> oh man. So so yeah. Continuing on with this, like like how <laughs> Star Wars is different than D and D, which it really isn't too bad. It's not that um, different. But there is ships and travel. Um, I think this is a really really fun part of uh of star wars role playing is that there are instead of like going to different continents or going to different islands you are going to different planets um which can really vary the ecosystem and add all sorts of fun stuff so, so what do you guys think about how travel works with kind of across the galaxy of star wars role playing i think it's basically the same thing except the ruler is a bit bigger so yeah. <laughs> it's it's just the so scale good, yeah. has changed but the methods are slightly different wow. it's just retextured yeah. Yeah. so you go to an island that's basically like going to another planet in a fantasy game mm-hmm. wow because the methods of travel are going to take you you know on a scale wise about the same right so the time scale is the same the t- yeah there's something um also really important here about uh, narratively the way Star Wars handles travel where it's like, well, let's get in the ship and then we have a scene where they're like talking and then we're here. Yes. Or sometimes we're on the ship and now we're here. Yeah, that's really nice. What It's called like going into warp speed or warp drive or whatever. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is this is the Star Wars version of the red dotted line from uh, Indiana Jones, right? Like yes. we, don't, we don't care yes. about the travel. Like we, we're just going to get there. Yeah. There's also this idea in Star Wars role playing that I just totally love uh, and that is the idea of your ship being your base of operations. Mm-hmm. the place you return to the most is where you do your downtime activities and obviously it's this mobile home if you will uh that stays with you and you don't as far as i've played you don't have that in D. you don't have a trailer or an entourage rolling around behind you everywhere you go yeah 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 i think 
And I think this uh, this kind of leads into one of the biggest things about Star Wars that's different than fantasy is that it's more focused on exploration than most other games out there. Or at least the story is. Because you you come in to, let's say you're just starting in episode four. You're starting on this small farmer kid on a desert planet. And then you're you're learning about these really cool and interesting places. Like you learn about this like slimy bar and then you start learning about the death star and you start learning about you know blown up planets and all these different things that you know didn't exist to this small kid to begin with you know but now there's these giant mega death stations throughout the galaxy that you you begin to learn about and it's it's interesting and it's more focused on you know exploring the world and all of the different creatures and species and characters that exist because if you think about Star Wars before Episode Four existed, all of these ideas of like the Cantina, like they were new and exciting and fresh. Whereas we look at them now, and it's like, yeah, this is nostalgia. But back then, they were new and different. Yeah. Like to have these weird alien creatures playing in a band, like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of comparing this to D and D of like, what what would your D and D world look like if it was closer to star wars where it's like there's a a small plane of existence with a portal on it and you can do whatever you want on that plane of existence and then you just get in the portal and it teleports you to another plane of existence and it's like like instead of having like a big D &D world where there's like desert mountains and forests and grasslands but instead it's like no this is like the the desert world and you go through a portal it's like okay now you're in the snow world and you go through a portal it's like now you're in the uh, the forest world um and that's very similar to how star wars is wow um and and i think it's it's really interesting to to compare those and just how dang similar they are you know i like your um your interpretation of what could easily be like in mundane terms just like a sailing ship and it's like a greek island expedition type of adventure right uh, and we're on the forest island, and now we're on, like, the lava island and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to, like, teleport, and you're like, clearly this is a different world. Like, this world is made of ice. Um, so it's almost like we've taken a fantasy world, and we've painted it with thick layers of sci-fi paint, and then we've waited for that to dry, and then we've painted fantasy back over the sci-fi. And, like, what does that look like now for our D&D game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another thing with uh, with ships and travel is the idea of astrogation. Uh, which I believe is a skill uh, in, in some of the games I've played in Star Wars role-playing, um, which is really interesting, the idea of like getting lost in the stars, like if yeah. you roll low enough, um, which is really interesting because you're in this kind of void of space. Um, but if you have a good dungeon master, there's, there's always going to be stuff that happens, right? Like there's going to be rogue enemy ships or um, you're going to have to stop by a, an asteroid in order to get power. Or there's going to be a derelict space station that you're going to have to investigate. Um, or there's going to be a distress beacon coming from a small uh, mm-hmm. spaceship. Um, there's so much to do in outer space. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's really a, a fun part of Star Wars role-playing. And I think the story aspects really come into play when you fail an astrogation role instead of in reality. Like if we were looking at Star Wars from a realistic setting, if you were going to make a light speed jump from you know, one area to another, if you calculate it wrong, you might, you know, end up in a black hole or in the sun or in a planet and just crash into something or an asteroid field. But in reality, you know, it might be a little more 
of a story moment like you warp in and now you're in front of a bunch of enemy ships like what right do you do? It's, it's more fun like the yeah. worst thing that can happen is basically more fun and more daring do more fun and yeah. adventure yeah <laughs> in sci-fi like nobody wants to warp into a star and die and the gm says well game over i guess mm-hmm. like that's that's <laughs> stupid Just, everyone leave my house <laughs> everyone tear up your shirt your sheets and get out of here <laughs> no no i i think it, it speaks testament to maybe how how fun it is to to be able to kind of port to places or maybe how terrible travel is in D mm. um because if if a check goes wrong like if you're rolling say the uh the pilot of your spacecraft uh just rolls a terrible astrogation roll there's so much stuff that can happen because you're like porting into a different place like you're teleporting to a new part of of space whereas if you're like the ranger leading the party and you roll a bad survival check it's like okay you guys are lost in the woods for a bit i mean maybe you guys have to take another long rest or you guys get a level of exhaustion it's just it's just kind of there's always stuff you can do to include but um the scale is 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 smaller with D&D and I think it, it's it speaks testament to the, how fun travel is with Star Wars is because the scale is bigger and suddenly oh oh no you're in an asteroid field or oh no you ran right into the enemy blockade um with a failed kind of uh movement what, what like a failed travel check navigation you know? check yeah. yeah and I think that's something that maybe we can learn from in D&D is yes maybe we can make travel a little bit more interesting by looking at other genres and how they do travel and how they make it interesting and how mm-hmm. they add in these epic moments where you you poured in and now you're in front of this small moon which is no moon oh, that's a space station <laughs> that's a space station um or even like it seems that in D&D compared to Star Wars there's just fewer people right like if you're wandering in the wilderness you come across a bandit camp or a bandit hideout right like a, a less than 50 people mm-hmm. um but in star wars you come out of warp in the wrong place and you're at a orbital construction platform right like with like thousands of families on the space station it's a, a qualitatively different experience and i even though it's not quite the same uh like what david is saying you can let that star wars game design school of thought or, or train of thought roll into your DD game and see where it takes you because it is different yeah yeah, yeah. Another thing about Star Wars is the, of course, diverse set of factions. Um, with the world so big, there are so many factions, um, including massive uh, empires and republics that sprawl multiple planets. Um, but even kind of the craziness of like local governments on specific planets. Um, there's there's always influences from from all throughout the galaxy. So, what do you guys think? Um, how can you involve different factions from Star Wars? A lot of times that people know. Um, into these role-playing games in the universe oh so um i have a thought that is not an answer to your question jake so maybe david should speak first and okay try to hang so to it. i think if we're looking at star wars in general there's one major antagonistic faction if we look at the whole like scope of star wars there's the bad guy faction so that's going to be whatever you, like the sith or it's going to be the empire whatever you want to have in your star wars focus game you're going to have one major bad faction. And then you're going to have the good guy faction. These are going to be the rebels. They're going to be the Jedi. They're going to be, you know, the outstanding citizens who are mm-hmm. represent. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then as you go into your game, you can start to kind of blur the lines 
with different smaller factions. So you have crime lords like Jabba the Hutt and his his gang of people. And then you have, you know, what's her name? Maz? Maz Katana? Maz Katana. You have, I think it's, it's Katana. You, know, have, you have these bounty hunters. You have all of these different factions that start coming into play and start twisting things up so that they're not as clean as they used to be. Because you think about Han Solo being a smuggler. He's not necessarily, he didn't start out as a, you know, part of the rebellion, but now he's thrust into it. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, he has his own twist where he's, you know, kind of more in it for the money to begin with, at yeah. least. Mm-hmm. That's some really good insight into world building, David, um, where Star Wars apparently just has two big factions. You have the Empire and the Alliance, yeah. uh, the Rebel Alliance, I mean. Um, but then when you zoom in a lot more, you see that there's so much nuance. and um, But even within the Imperial uh, faction, there's just so much going on. And I think that's really helpful for world building in D&D, where you're like, no, I'm just going to set up these two opposing powers and then see what happens. Yeah. yeah. All right, so the thought that I had, Jake, um, about using some Star Wars thinking in world building for D&D is um, in Star Wars, you know generally... This is a imperial outpost, and they're going to be loyal in some way to the empire, and so you can you kind of trickle down and very quickly um, be like, okay, well, obviously this the, the mayor here is uh, he's being influenced by this faction that's potentially millions of light years away, right? Uh-huh. And in D anD D, there's this sense of almost like city state isolation, where it's like this mayor doesn't know anybody outside of this town, <laughs> yeah. and if I do something at this outpost, like nobody is going to know. And so I think it's helpful to think about the bigger picture uh, for your D&D networking and uh, faction building. Yeah, it's always interesting when there's, you know, the Empire has a presence everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's it's also says something when they don't have a presence somewhere. Because it's like, what does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean for the world that they're not there? It's either super isolated or, you know, there's a powerful enough group of people to resist the Empire or, you know, all of these different... Or it's not worth having a presence at. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another thing that's that's obviously way different um, from Dungeons and Dragons is the Force. Mm-hmm. How do you use the Force in uh, in your games? Well, so uh, it must be said that there is no one to one conversion of D and D spells to Force powers. Like <laughs> you might you might think at first, like, oh, well, I have a Jedi mind trick, or I can like use telekinesis on stuff, like. Sure, that seems right, but the Force is more about this worldview and this way of life, and you can't just get it and use it willy-nilly. So I, I think this this speaks to what we're trying to say about, like, we've talked about this before. I don't think we want people doing Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition conversions to Star Wars. Like, there are some really good Star Wars systems out there that we'll mention later in the episode um, that, that you can use. And you can definitely see the difference between spell slots and um and types of spells and spell lists that yeah it's it's very different um like the force is just not just magic Mm-mm. well it's not just D magic certainly it is it is essentially well, just magic yeah but yeah. so is movie magic <laughs> <laughs> and the oscar goes too <laughs> So if we're talking about using the Force in your D&D game, it's important to make sure that a person can't just say, oh, I have the Force, and... Uh, this happens. Right, and then they I can mind control. Force, right, like, mm-hmm. it's there's there's such a cost associated with it, and there's this temptation of the dark side, and, or if you're Kylo Ren, you're tempted by the light side for some reason. Um, it's, it's much more than 
just a, a game mechanic. It is a story mechanic. Absolutely. And it's and it's weird because you talk about the temptation of the force of different sides and it's almost like a patron if you think about it yes. where you have these two patrons of uh different forces fighting against each other in the characters minds so you have these different characters on each shoulder like you should do this or you should do this and you can hear it like beckoning to you to take a different action or, or you can you can see the characters and their turmoil as they're they're trying to make difficult decisions in whether or not they should use the force in a specific manner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's really different compared to D and D and the closest we get is warlock patrons. Yeah. Yes. I think that's a really good comparison because I've told my players, um, I it's common in D and D five E to dip into warlock, uh, for Hexblade or for, uh, Eldric invocations and all that stuff. But, um, I I will say if you're going to dip into warlock, that's a huge story moment. Same thing if you're a paladin, if you're going to dip and take a paladin oath. These are big story moments. And so you can't have someone being like, oh, okay, yeah, I know how to use the force. Like being force sensitive um, or finding out you're force sensitive is like, is like a big deal. And it really affects the story and it affects what you can do. Um, and it's, yeah, it almost is. I like what you said, David, about having two different patrons, like the light side and dark side patron always whispering something in your ear um but in a way that's not i don't know like with a warlock you can be like you need to bring me the soul of that goblin but like when when someone's in star wars it like you have to tell the character like oh you feel a pull it's more of like an emotional urge yeah you feel a pull from one side of your psyche to spare this this goblin well, I this uh, Jawa, um, and from another side of your <laughs> psyche, you feel the urge to just destroy them, and it's that, this yeah wow. push pull. That's so cool because um, just as you're hitting on Jake, uh, a patron is verbalizing and vocalizing very clearly what yeah. they want, but yeah. the force is, is this emotional thing. It's this very personal Silent. feeling, right? You have to reach mm-hmm. out with your feelings, and. Um, it's just it's such a different flavor than any magic I see in fiction or um, especially from D and D. So yeah. obviously the systems don't just um, cross over and you can't just make it happen. Yeah, I I think another cool thing about the force is that um, something I I often it's hard to kind of limit your players' uh, backgrounds when in D and D there are literal gods and demigods walking amongst the world, mm-hmm. so there leaves no room for kind of the doubter. The skeptic, the atheist, because like it's impossible. When you right, you, you'd the... be a flat earther if you're an atheist in D and D. Exactly. <laughs> so you'd be, yeah, you'd be right. Uh, but anyway. Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> 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 um, but but it, it's crazy. Um, like you, yeah, you. It just doesn't compute. But with the the force in Star Wars, um, I think we obviously see in Han Solo when he's introduced is this. This kind of atheism to the force of being like, I don't, you know, hokey weapons well, really and magic symbols don't mean nothing compared to blaster at your side. Yeah. Wow. Um, Have you just watched that film? <laughs> <laughs> but like that, that sort of, um, it, it leaves room for people to doubt, um, which is really fun. I, I like the idea of, of there being people that, that are like, yeah, I don't, the force, what is that? I don't care. 
Like, I'm just trying to live my life. Whereas in D&D, that's hard to do. Like, people are, like, relying off of, I'm guessing, the spell create fruit and water and, like, the archdruid and the, the, the goddess of light and all the stuff that's, like, literally affecting their lives from the hierarchy, the pantheon of gods. Um, but in in Star Wars, this whole force thing is so metaphysical and mystic that, like, it often doesn't affect normal people's lives. And so it kind of adds more room for tension uh, and character growth um, and eventual maybe acknowledgement of the Force when maybe they didn't believe in it. Um, I have, uh, it's really two sidebars. First sidebar is that if you want to have that doubt and mystery, uh, religiously speaking in D&D, look at Eberron because they did such a good job. Second yes. sidebar is that um, with the Force being so, as you're saying, like vague and mysterious and maybe not real to some people, um, that moment when we saw the trailer for The Force Awakens and Han Solo says it's real, all of it. It's true. The Force, the Jedi. All of it. It's all true. Oh um, I, I pretty much peed my pants because oh, yeah. to see that character develop it so far away from where he started, um, where now like the things that he didn't believe in now he does because he, like he's obviously witnessed it firsthand. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just so much more meaningful than like having a. I played D and D with uh, an old friend and it, and he played as a person who firmly refused to believe in. I think it was magic. I think it was a regular D and D game, and he always had an explanation for it and oh yeah and it was kind of obnoxious but like it's silly right like you can't yeah. not believe in that and so there's no meaningful character arc built around that because it was really just a joke unlike the force <laughs> yeah I, I like the idea of there being that um vagueness to magic um that is mm -hmm. that is super interesting I, I love it yeah and i think that's the the interesting thing about the force is that it's not really defined what you can do and the limitations and the abilities it's not like fireball where you have a, a an exact description of exactly what it does whereas the force is more of a it's it's kind of like a flowing energy that can be manipulated mm -hmm. in different ways and to different degrees and i feel like it lends itself to a little more player creation where you're like yeah. well yeah you know like a jedi mind trick is probably going to be different depending on the jedi and on the target right yeah and and if i want to make up a certain way to use the force even outside of what we've seen in the movies like force lightning <laughs> came out of nowhere in return of the jedi like we've oh, yeah. never seen anything yeah. like that um and you can just make up things and you're like okay this makes sense uh, i think the um Star Wars Rebels does things with the Force that I've heard tell of. I haven't watched the show, but it uh, minds will be blown. Yeah, yeah. The last thing we're going to talk about is a uh, another game you've heard us talk about on the show before. This is Fantasy Flight Games' Edge of the Empire Star Wars RPG game. Uh, it is a complete core book. You don't need three of them. You just buy one, and you have your player's book, your DMG, and your monster manual in effect. And uh, they have three different books, which we'll touch on those later. Um, but I want to talk about how this system is different from D&D and the way they solve their problems. And really just why it was so exciting and refreshing for us to play this. Uh, this was the game we were playing for, what, two years or so. But right yeah. up until we got 5e. Right, right, yeah, right until 5e yeah, developed. Up to it. Yeah. We played this, yeah. yeah, a lot. This was our bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, so, Jake, tell me how the gameplay systems are different in Edge of the Empire versus D&D. So, um, I played D&D 
3.5 or 4? I did, literally don't remember because um, <laughs> it was only a few times. And it was not a good experience. Uh, but I remember that D20 um, and, and understanding kind of the system of the D20. Um, and then it, it suddenly, uh, I, I think Will is the one that, that brought it up, or maybe Will and David. But, but figuring out the Fantasy Flight Games Edge of the Empire system had this, this crazy dice system. Um, where they're all multicolored and they have symbols that look foreign and it looks intimidating. Um, but it took about a minute and 30 seconds for it to be explained. Um, and so you roll these dice and they have corresponding symbols to succeed and fail. Um, and then the other one was threat and boon? Or was it threat and... Advantage. Advantage. Um, or, which was... Yeah. Which, is, which is really interesting. And so it literally just pours into storytelling for for your game so the dice system just as one difference from in comparison to standard d20 like 5e um is that that when you roll the dice a story is kind of made right there Mm -hmm. um where it'll say okay you critically succeed but you have three um disadvantage or what was it threat three threat and so it's like okay so you nail whatever you were trying to do whatever you were rolling for nailed it but that like th- suddenly there are more guards on their way. Um, and we've talked about this before, but I think um, a, a big part of the system is a DM that knows what they're doing mm-hmm. um, or and a DM that, that can't uh, rest on their laurels, that can't just <laughs> relax. They, they're always, the story is always creating itself with the dice rolls. Um, and so it really is a storytelling system more than a numerical number system, which I think is really interesting. And it is very unique because if you think of D and D as primarily, um, I know controversial, a monster fighting game, right? Like one third of the, the core books are monster stats. Uh, and then the star Wars game is more of an adventure game, like this exploration, um, heists it's not about fighting which it kind of makes sense because if you look at the star wars universe in general it's more about the epic space Mm opera-ness and that and this and the system lends itself to that whereas you look at D &D and it's almost more about the creatures that you're encountering and fighting these epic monsters right Mm because you have these really cool abilities in D &D that help you solve monster type problems very (laughs) efficiently right (laughs) yeah Um, yeah and um, this Star Wars game gives you tools to have vastly different types of adventures as opposed to D&D. Yeah. Um, as Jake mentioned, we have these storytelling dice. Um, the book describes it as a non-binary dice roll. So D&D is pass or fail, right? Like you hit the number or you don't. And this one is you uh, you succeed, but there's a drawback or you fail, but there's an advantage, right? Like there's any combination of these um, strange symbols coming up on the dice all the time. Mm-hmm. Um the thing that really jumps out to me, um, because those people I mentioned before who said they wouldn't play D&D, but they would play Star Wars, led me to go and reread big chunks of my core book. And I was surprised at how many social skills there are in the game, including um, a skill called presence, which is just sort of like your physical presence in a room, like your influence. I just, love presence. Right. It's an amazing stat. Um, and so many things hang off of that. Um, yeah. You have your cool, which is, it can be used for initiative or like your surprise. Right. Um, but you also have your vigilance, which is just sort of your all around like battlefield uh, awareness. Like, um, and a lot of these skills cross over, so they could be used for combat or for social encounters. Yeah. And, and there's so many more of them. I think D and D only has, 
um, what, f- maybe three or four that are yeah. directly for social encounters. But obviously Star Wars has a lot going on. Yeah. Bluff and threaten. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I forget all the rest, but social skills are so good. God, yeah. I, I remember going <laughs> to our game that we played. I played this politician and I poured every single bit of my skill points into presence um and just kind of had this frank underwood type politician that just would be like like (laughs) trying to form armies out of like any group of peasants we came across (laughs) it was pretty scary um so to explain how that works i have to explain a little bit of the mechanics of the game so in DD, you have your hp your hit points and when that goes down you go unconscious uh, Star Wars has hit points. Um, I think they call it wounds. Uh, but they also have a secondary resource called strain. And I, I just love this, and I kind of wish more games would do this, where it is a uh, like a non-lethal counter, right? So you can use moves, and that will acquire yeah. strain. Uh, and then you can do things that will remove it. But if you harm an enemy, uh, most NPCs don't have a pool for strain, so it converts basically like their mental stress or their their anxiety or whatever directly into damage and so this politician character of jake's um essentially just threatens or berates people <laughs> normally it would just like stress them out to hear it but it just deals damage and yeah, so you're like yelling at stormtroopers until they just leave <laughs> or they <laughs> I, I guess you could say they could fall over dead but that like effectively what's happening they is they're just out. like chickening out they're they're They've had enough. Yeah, it's too much. And and I really love that because I feel like this is what I wanted uh, exhaustion to be in 5e. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be the system that you could play with more um, that wasn't like this huge drastic, oh, you get disadvantage on everything now. Um, And and I like the idea of having kind of more levers to pull Mm -hmm. um, that affect you in ways that you wouldn't expect. And yeah, I love, oh man. You're bringing back so many memories of the game, but oh, yeah, I, lo- I love that system and how you can kind of pull levers and roll in ways that that are unconventional, but you can solve problems in very creative ways. Mm-hmm. Man, there's so many more things to talk about. Um, on my, I'll just try to be brief here, but on my most recent read through, I was impressed because I've I've been away from this game for so long, and now I'm reading it with fresh eyes, and I'm reading it with these D and D dungeon master eyes, right? Like I'm very used to that the D and D five E world and the uh-huh. systems. Like it's I kind of I eat, breathe, and sleep. What's that? What they say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always in that system, and so I see how they solved problems, and now I appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Something that's amazingly cool is skill trees. Um, so when you're making a character in this game, you choose your race as you'd figure, and there's so many Star Wars races, it's not even funny. And then you choose your class, and each class has three skill like sub specializations right like we're used to these from 5e each of these specializations has their own skill tree of which there are effectively two paths down it uh so you're seeing like within just one character type you have a lot of variety Mm -hmm. and so um the way they do experience points they keep the numbers low as we talked about in our most recent experience points episode and you're 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 accruing this resource experience and you're spending it to unlock skills on this tree and obviously the deeper you go the better they get and it's just so fascinating because Jake's character, you are a, um, I don't know the overall class. It was like a, it was a politician, but it was like an ambassador, I think, or something like that. Something like that. And you had chosen all the specific skills relating to just essentially screaming at people. Charming and yeah, berating. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cloyd Banderhall, I believe, was the 
the character name. It's always stuck with me. Um, anyway, just very unique game. Um, it will challenge you as a GM to run it and to absorb it because it is so different than what you're used to. Um, but it will also unlock new parts of your brain, especially when it comes to world yeah. building uh, with uh, Star Wars in mind. Yeah. And yeah, the skill trees were, they appear complicated, but when you put it in the hands of the players, because when you think about it, 5e can be complicated um, mm. with like, okay, I don't understand what the cleric's doing at level seven, but just let him just, he, he'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can, you can oftentimes do that with this game and it's very easy for them to be like, oh yeah, I want this, then this. Okay, sweet. Uh, Cause I remember David's character um cola can yes it was uh, oh yeah he was who was he uh what's his name uh nicholas Nick, cage he was nicholas cage as a uh, as the guy as greedo's race what was greedo's uh, race? rodian rodian the rodian oh, but just in gosh. really bad face makeup <laughs> alien oh god an alien nick cage oh uh, and yeah he, and david put all his points into like assassin so like mm. we could go talk to someone and i would approach and be like what is the meaning of this? Put this down. You're done here. Leave. Leave. The, the, you need to leave right now. And if it doesn't work, I go, all right. Cole again, go. And, like, you just, like, shoot a dart at him. And with all his points, like, it would just, like, put him to sleep. <laughs> I just remember my favorite part about that was Will's impression of uh, <laughs> Nicolas Cage doing oh, a, a speaking in Rodian. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it sounded a lot like this. Haba Java no bother. <laughs> why why have we not had Nicolas cage in a star wars movie yet i don't know i'm I'm hoping that he's in the next one give it time (laughs) so so but i i don't want to uh i don't want it for anyone to think that we're just like kind of shilling this game um i think this is the only game we have experience with and i think we really like it i think it's really well designed um and we've had a wonderful time with it uh, but there are several different Star Wars systems out there. Um, I know there is a 5e conversion uh, to Star Wars. I know there is an way older, I think like 20 years old now, um, D20 system for Star Wars. Uh, it was I've essentially uh, about. it was third edition D&D, but Star Wars. It was made actually by a lot of the same people who are currently working on 5e, including okay. Chris Perkins, which is wow. crazy. What? That's it's called Saga Edition Star Wars. Wow. So I so I've heard nothing but good things about that. Um but but I think uh what are the kind of uh thesis statement that we've made um is that that Star Wars is not a big leap from fantasy. Um and that sci-fi fantasy is often a lot closer than you think and that um Star Wars can be a wonderful world with a low barrier of entry um, that can be just a, an amazing place to explore and have adventures in. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, you know, the parallels between D and D creatures and star Wars creatures. We have a lot of uh, similar creatures. I mean, uh, what are those pigmen people called? Oh. Uh, orcs. <laughs> yeah. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, they're basically orcs just yeah. as pigs. Yeah. I mean, you're put... guards. You slap a pig nose on an orc and, you know, it's the same thing. I think there's enough fodder here that we could do an entire creature feature uh, <gasps> with Star Wars creatures. I think we can all agree that Jawas are just the Star Wars version of goblins. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. Or maybe gnomes because they're more like tinkery and 
Mm. It's like a no. little mix of them because they're because for me they're a little mysterious because mm-hmm. they have their their they're always hooded mm-hmm. and you know they they speak their own weird little language that not many people can understand. <laughs> but for, like, gnomes are pretty integrated into society. Well, it depends on your game. I think it would actually be more like a halfling because aren't halflings more mysterious and, and nomadic, nomadic uh, and distant? They're too kind. I think I think a, a goblin is a much more uh, yeah. appropriate metaphor for it. It would be cool to have a, um, I guess, a, a version of goblins that wear hoods and they trade in junk. It's mm-hmm. almost like a Dark Sun setting thing. And they ride oh, in yeah, a yeah. giant tin can. Yeah, right? Like they have <laughs> animals that just pull these massive wagons full of crap. Yeah. And they're always trying and to they get they go a, around to different towns and sell them. They're like gypsies. It's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, that'd be really fun. Um, yeah. And then sometimes they uh, steal droids that are just minding their own business on the desert of Tatooine. Yeah, <sighs> familiar. Now, uh, droids are kind of hard to, to classify into D anD D because they're individuals. Right? I mean, we basically have them with Warforged, right? But then, like R two D two is is clearly not like he's a very specialized type. Yeah, of yeah, but they're, he's very specialized, kind of like Warforged, because you know you have your combat droids, you have your pilot yeah. droids, you have your interpretation droids, True. people who talk. You know, C three PO is yeah. more a social droid, whereas. Mm. Yeah. R2-D2 is more of a uh, co-pilot, you know, ship manager type of deal. In my role, I like, I, I've integrated Warforged, and I think it's gone really well. And, and like, to see the kind of specific talents that the Warforged were created to have um, was really fun. But I also like the idea of, like, animated objects mm. um, kind of doing what droids do in, in the Star Wars universe. Like, like think of something like a, an animated quill um that's uh just following like a scribe as he's like walking through maybe analyzing um whatever and the the quill is just going to town on a piece of paper like a piece of (laughs) parchment and it's like it's really interesting to see like how an animated object that's kind of subservient to a wizard or whatever um operates in the world and it it changes the world it does make it a little more automated and a little more fantastical um, so I think droids can kind of be replaced by kind of, I think, Warforged and, like, animated objects. So There's a lot of fun with animated objects. Yes. Well, so this is kind of going back to the very beginning when we were talking about our first memories of Star Wars. And the thing that I, I do want to bring up is one of the uh, worst things uh, that I remember about Star Wars is uh, in Jabba's palace when you see the droid being tortured where they're just like putting like hot coals on his feet. I was like, that was so terrifying to me as a little kid. But like thinking about it now, like droids shouldn't have emotions. Like (laughs) pain sensors. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you, you feel the emotion like R2D2, like kind of being scared, like as a droid, like you can feel that emotion, even though it's a robot. Yeah. They definitely blur the line between humans and, like, this artificial being because they're more human. Like, why would Mm -hmm. we be burning the feet of a droid for punishment? Like, this is silly. Um, So going back to your animated objects, Jake, um, I like the idea of just making D&D R2-D2 and he's, like, just a tool chest who has everything is animated inside (laughs) of him. And he just kind of, like, rolls around and, like, you know, repairs things or hacks into – well, I don't know what you can hack in D&D. Hmm. I have to think about this. It would be like a. It would have like tool picks or lock picks. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. You would. He has a mage hand that it can cast like low level on itself. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I just good. picture like big Mickey Mouse hands like popping out of this tool chest and it's like picking a lot. 
yeah, that's Mickey really Mouse funny. because Disney owns. Uh, yeah, that's actually a completely legal crossover now. <laughs> yes. I think that um, uh, Princess, uh, what's her name from Leia. episode four? Leia. Wow. Wow. No, that was a bit. I, no, it, uh, yeah, that was definitely a bit. <laughs> yeah, he's not the only one who forgot a major character Good in Star Lord. Wars today. Prin- what's his name? Luke, Luke Skyhopper? What's his <laughs> <laughs> Princess Sky Leia. Skyjogger? Stop. <laughs> I think Princess Leia is technically a Disney princess now. Am I wrong? Yeah, we've been over this in 2015. Oh, all right. Okay. Okay. Um. Slap me in the face. <laughs> So let's do some weirder Star Wars creatures. Uh, let's do the Sarlacc, the pit Ooh. that Jabba oh, throws good. Luke into. That's a good one. I'm That's, thinking uh, maybe a purple worm, but but it's it's less of a monster and it's more of like an environmental hazard. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, a. I don't know. the The thing that I'm thinking of is it's like kind of like those uh, Venus flytraps. Yeah. 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 Where it's it's kind of immobile, where it's stuck in one place, but it's he kind of has like these grasping like vines or tentacles, yeah, whatever you want yeah. to call it, that can reach out and grab you. So it would definitely in in a in a fantasy setting it would probably be some sort of obstacle that you have to come across. Or it would be something like in Star Wars, it's it's kind of like worshipped or the center of some sort of big event, kind of like a gladiatorial yeah, ring. Yeah, it's like a set yeah. piece encounter. Oh, <laughs> Very yeah. fu- and I, so if it was in D anD D, you could put it in a, a desert and you just steal it completely. But I see this being in a jungle because a lot of those carnivorous plants, like Venus flytraps and uh, the uh, pitcher plants, are this rainforest, you know, nightmare scenario. And imagine coming across a pit or, or what you think is just sort of a, a divot in the ground that opens up and swallows you. Like that's really terrifying. And then you mm. can build up a yeah. faction or organization that worships it and feeds prisoners to it. And that's I mean, babe, you got a D and D adventure going. Hot day. Yeah, I mean, this, there, there's a lot of these in um, uh, in Tomb of Annihilation, the five E module. Um, the there's like the big Venus flytrap things with the assassin vines, um, and I like the idea of it, like this, this huge thing that it's less of a monster and more of a environmental hazard. Yes, obviously. I really like that. Like you're kind of fighting around this thing and trying to. I grapple and throw your enemies into the pit, like into mm-hmm. the, the mouth of this carnivorous thing. That's so fun. Yeah. I'm a big fan of environmental hazards. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we also have the Rancor. Um, so we have big hitters in D&D. Um, I'm thinking of like the Tarrasque, but the Tarrasque is like Megazord status, right? It's like he towers above. This is more like almost like you could, like if you could restat it as. Like a baby Tarrasque? Like a T-Rex. Mm. or I'm any sort of dinosaur rancor honestly. i'm thinking like a troll in armor okay like i'm thinking you know a troll is they're pretty strong i think they're like a, a combat a challenge rating of like six or something okay, uh, but yeah. like put that thing in armor and it's like yeah that could or maybe an undead troll um could do the trick of a rancor of being this kind of like just um like you said heavy hitter yeah there's something about the Rancor, though. Like, when I hear a troll, I'm not nervous or afraid. But uh, there was a Star Wars Edge of the Empire module that has a Rancor, like, in a cave or something. And I don't know if it's the system or the because it's such a different kind of creature. Um, and it's so out of control, right? Like, even Jabba just kept it in a pit because you're not going to pet yeah. that thing. Unless you're that sad handler guy that cries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> um, they're just scarier, right? Because it looks like this big glob of teeth and muscle oh, yeah. and claws. Um, I don't know how to convert that into D&D other than just saying, like, look, it's a rancor. Or, you, or yeah, even just say a baby Tarrasque. Like, just, like, imagine your, your players. Uh, the, okay, this is really getting my, my juices flowing. Like, you <laughs> imagine your players going into uh, a dungeon. They're going through several rooms. And they eventually find a room that's, like, uh, a more natural cavern <clears> that <throat> just has a massive egg in it. And suddenly the egg hatches. And it's, like, literally a baby Tarrasque. Oh, no. And, like, I, that, like that's what I'm thinking of is something that's, I like, run. you... You know the lore of a Tarrasque, and it's like, this is a baby. You don't know how how much of its dad's strength it has. <laughs> but Maybe it hatches it's... because they open the dungeon, and they, yeah. or because oh, they open yeah. that room, oh, yeah. and they're the cause, so it's like, I really it's their like problem that. now. That's, That's good. Yeah. Maybe we can load that dungeon up with a bunch of Sarlacc pits oh. all around. Oh, God, yeah. This is, this is already... Have a I, bunch I'm of hearing... Jawas, like, hiding. <laughs> Trying to I'm hearing throw. the yakety sax as you're just running away. <laughs> oh, I would run. <laughs> I would run. Um, well, that is our Star Wars special, everyone. Um, hopefully you had fun. Hopefully you have some ideas. And uh, go and play some Star Wars. Uh, yeah. You'll see us next week for the sequel and last week for the prequel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana, episode 41. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are all some variation of Vox Arcana podcasts. Just look it up. And uh, you can email questions, feedback, suggestions, questions to voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. Um, and if you like what we're doing here, um, we have bonus episodes every month. And if you pledge $5 a month, uh, you can get access to our entire back catalog of bonus episodes and access to each of our new episodes every month. In addition, we'd love for you guys to um, rate us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. Um, I heard five stars is a pretty popular choice, but um, you rate at your discretion. Um, and also the best way for podcasts to spread um, that we've seen over and over and over again is just sharing with your friends. So anyone that you think would like to hear this podcast, anyone who loves Dungeons and Dragons, anyone who's starting their own game as a dungeon master, sharing the podcast with them is the best way for the show to grow. We'll see you next time.